Good evening. Good evening. Hey, I want to thank you all for your prayers. Um, I'm much better. I'm back at it, but I had a, a tough week. But I know that some of you were praying for me last week as I was getting over this uh, cold. Not quite sure where it came from. I think I know, but um, I'd rather not say right now. <laughs> so here we are at the end of the book of Leviticus, our third book of the Bible, as we continue our journey through the Bible. And I want to remind us of a chorus that some of you will probably remember. Many of you have probably never heard it, but I just wanted to remind you of it. Hasn't the Lord been good to us? Hasn't the Lord been good? He's done all the things that he said he would. Hasn't the Lord been good? Love God, hate sin. Reckon the old man dead. Love God, hate sin, and by the Spirit be led. Isn't that a great little simple chorus? We might sing it later if I get the guts to do that. But in our study and what we've been doing, hasn't the Lord been good to Israel? Jacob and his family came down and they were saved. Joseph was there and the family was brought together. They grew and they became a great nation. Many years of prosperity, many years of growth. But then things changed. Another pharaoh came along. And they were brought into slavery and into bondage. So God sent Moses uh, to represent him to the people and to the world that they might know that he is Jehovah God. And he used the ten plagues. He used the victory over the escape, the, the miraculous escape, and the victory over Pharaoh's army as ways of showing himself strong on behalf of Israel. They crossed that Red Sea and they didn't have water. They got water out of a rock. They got manna from heaven. They even got meat to eat. Hasn't the Lord been good to Israel? All of this way of preparation, getting ready to go. And he desires to continue to bless his people as they head and enter into the promised land. That's where he's taking them, into the promised land. He's preparing them for their journey. He's even told them how to set up their camp. This, this uh, tribe would, would camp here, that tribe over there, and when they put the thing together, it made a beautiful cross. He gave instructions on how to set up the tabernacle and how to move the tabernacle. Let's pray. Father, as we look at this continuing story and the love that you have for your people, you have certainly been good to them. And now, from the bottom of your heart, Lord, I believe you give them some of the greatest instructions of how to live life that's ever been penned. We're going to study those tonight, so Lord, help us in Jesus' name. Amen. So the third book of Leviticus, we're finishing up tonight. He, we have seen that he has given us instructions on worship, how to worship. He's told us the different types of offerings and how to make those offerings and what their purposes were. He gave us instructions on how the nation is to approach God. In the second part of the book, we saw that the law of sanctification, the people were sanctified, the priests were sanctified, even worship and the tabernacle were sanctified. And in our chapters tonight, we're going to see that the land itself is sanctified. So God is now dealing with the second big step of the promise that God made to Abraham. Back in Genesis 12, he said, I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to give you a wonderful land with milk and honey. It's going to be a great land. And all the people of the world are going to be blessed. So they're a great nation. They came out a million and a half to three million people. That's a great nation. They're going to a promised land, and that land is a land that has been rich in times past. And so they're into the second big step of the land. Last week, Pastor Brandon took us through the seven feasts and their celebrations. Uh, some were concerning, some were, were, took place during the spring, and some took place during the fall. They all speak of Jesus, though. The Passover, Christ, our Passover lamb, we saw that. The unleavened bread, Follow the way of Christ. The first fruits. Jesus was the first fruit of the resurrection. And then the the Feast of Weeks, which was the story of Pentecost. And we meant we looked at the three thousand that were lost because of their sin at Sinai, and the three thousand that were saved in Acts chapter two because they they came to know the Lord and they heard the wonderful proclamation of the things of God in their own tongues on that day the church was born.
But some of those feasts typically are still coming. The trumpets was 10 days of awe, 10 days of waiting, 10 days of reflecting before the Day of Atonement. We looked at the Day of Atonement when we studied chapter 16 of Leviticus, a whole chapter on one day, the day that the nations of, of Israel's sins were set aside. And then we looked at the tabernacle, the reminder of the wonderful tent and the coming re- reunion of man with God where we met with God. In chapter 25, we looked at the Sabbath, the Sabbath for us. And I really like that because we always think of the Sabbath as something for the church or a Sabbath as a day of rest. But you know what? We deserve sometimes our own Sabbath, our own rest. And then there's the Sabbath for the land. We saw that every seventh year was supposed to be let go. And then there was the year of Jubilee, 50 years, and everything was released and returned back to its original owner. So we've been looking at things pertaining to and getting ready for this great journey that's going to take place. The preparation under a new system called the law with priests, with a tabernacle, with a whole bunch of rules. And how are we going to break that down to where we can use it? So we turn to chapter 26. And God now, through Moses, begins to speak to the people. He knows that they're going to be facing problems. Problems are before the promised land. They're coming. He knows that. So he's going to tell them some principles to live by and to follow. He's going to say, I want you to be willing and obedient. But he's going to give give them the option or refuse and rebel. That's a pretty simple choice. Be willing and obedient or refuse and rebel. And he's going to spell out some of the consequences of both. As we go into the next book, Numbers, we're going to follow this wandering of the nation as they go through the desert. And we're going to see how well they do at following the instructions we're going to get tonight. When we get to Deuteronomy, that's the law repeated. We're going to see a summary of the whole journey and the whole thing that has happened since the beginning in Genesis all the way through what we call the law. God was was now choosing to show himself to the world in one of two ways, through the nation. He chose the nation of Israel, and he said, I'm going to show myself, Jehovah, to the whole world by blessing your socks off and making you a great and powerful nation. I'm also going to show the whole world that I'm Jehovah by chastening you like nobody's ever been chastened before, and you're going to survive. You're still going to exist. So two miraculous ways that God is getting ready to show himself. Only God could do that, what's going to happen to the nation of Israel. But the choice of how it goes is up to you, Israel. So let's read the first 13 verses. Chapter 26 of Leviticus. You shall not make idols for yourself, neither a carved image nor a sacred pillar shall you rear up for yourselves. For sh- nor shall you set up an engraved stone in your land to bow down to it. For I am the Lord your God. You shall keep the Sabbaths and reverence my sanctuary. I am the Lord. If you walk in my statutes and you keep my commandments and perform them, then I will give you rain in its season. The land shall yield its produce and the trees of the fruit of the field shall yield their fruit. Your threshing, your threshing shall last till the time of vintage, and the vintage shall last till the time of sowing. You shall eat your bread to the full and dwell in your land safely. I will give you peace in the land, and you shall lie down, and none will make you afraid. I will rid the land of evil beasts, and the sword will not go through your land. You will chase your enemies, and they shall fall by the sword before you. Five of you will chase a hundred, and a hundred of you will chase ten thousand at flight. Your enemies shall fall by the sword before you. For I will look on you favorably and make you fruitful, multiply you, and confirm my covenant with you. You shall eat the old harvest and clear out of the old because of the new. I will set my tabernacle among you, and my soul shall not abhor you. I will walk among you and be your God, and you shall be my people. I am the Lord God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, that you should not be their slaves. 
I have broken their bands of your yoke and made you walk upright. Wow, that's going to be a great trip, man. It's going to be really good. All I got to do is be willing and obedient. He's going to give me rain. I'm going to sleep at night. And I'm not going to fear if there's any, any, any enemies in the land. Five of us are going to make a hundred of a run. It's, it's going to be just a really great time. Hasn't the Lord been good to us? Hasn't the Lord been good? God is going to summarize the first table of the law when he says, Thou shalt not make any idols. The Hebrew word for idols is nothings. Remember, we've read before where they had hands, but they couldn't handle. They had eyes, but they couldn't see. They had ears, but they couldn't hear. That's what the people were doing. But in the society of that time, there was a God for everything. And so they would carve images and they would carve gods and they would set that up in their house because they couldn't sense the presence of their God. So they had to have an image of their God so they could come to its presence. And that's why they had altars in their home and altars on the high places and altars in different places that they could go into and set up an image. And the reason we don't have an image of God and we don't need to have altars in our homes is because he's present with us all t- at all times. You only set up an image when you don't have the presence of the God with you. That's what was happening. So all these carvings and engravings and images of something because they lost the presence of that something. He says there in 1b, for I am the Lord your God. So important that we realize that these are the words of the Lord. This is where this is coming from. These are not just words that Moses thought he'd write down. These are words that came from God through Moses. In verse 2, it's a positive form. If you will keep my my Sabbaths and reverence my sanctuaries, if you'll do those things that I've been telling you in the book of Leviticus and in the book of Exodus, the things that we've seen, It's called a conditional blessing. If you do this, then I will give you that. What we read in verses 3 to 14. In the ancient and near east, it was very customary for legal treaties to end with this type of 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 a phrasing. Because we've now made a contract between us, we're going to be at peace with each other. If you, if you stay in your land and I stay in my land, then we will help you get bread and you can help us get wood and we'll go back and forth. There was this back and forth. So this was a very common phrasing that was in that time. You know what? God is going to keep his part of the bargain. And I want you to remember this chapter. This is truly one of the greatest chapters in the whole Bible. Now, the men's group says that about every scripture they study. If they're studying Romans chapter 1, it's the greatest chapter in the Bible. They get to Romans chapter 4, verse 6. This is the most important chapter and verse in the whole Bible. This really is an important chapter in the Bible. It's, one of, it's classified as one of the great chapters along with Deuteronomy 28. And I'll tell you more about Deuteronomy 28 as we get to it. But it is a great chapter. Think of the nation of Israel and the history that we know and the things that we remember. And as we continue to go through the Bible, you're going to see some great victories and some great defeats in the nation of Israel. Be brought back to this passage. Be brought back to this chapter in Leviticus where God spoke so clearly to him. I think Judges is a great book to look at to get some idea of these things. We see that God did keep his promise. Gideon with 300 men beat up 130,000. That fits right in with what we read. What we read. A hundred of you is going to chase 10,000. That works. It talks about David. And later on, David had a soldier who killed 800 by himself in one battle. That's pretty awesome. That's a good thing. Five will put a hundred to flight. These covenants are repeated in Ezekiel 34, Joel 2, much exactly the same. But in Deuteronomy 28, I want to look at a little bit of that. So if you want to turn to Deuteronomy 28, this is the law repeated or the law the second time. And uh, this is your homework, by the way. Um, I like to give out homework. I want you to read. Uh, chapter 26 of, of uh, Leviticus, and then right after that, followed up by reading chapter 28 of Deuteronomy. And we're just going to read the first part of this, just to get a, a flavor that this is a consistent thought and theme. This is not just a one-time flash-in-the-pan event that takes place. Chapter 28 of Deuteronomy, verse 1. 
Now it shall come to pass, if you diligently obey the, obey the voice of the Lord your God, to observe carefully all his commandments, which I commanded you today, that the Lord your God will set you on high above all nations of the earth. He did that. They were number one at one time. And all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you because you obeyed the voice of the Lord your God. Blessed shall you be in the city, and blessed shall you be in the country. Blessed shall be the fruit of your body, and the produce of your ground, and the increase of your herds, and the increase of your cattle, and the offspring of your flock. Blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Blessed shall be when you come in, and blessed shall be when you go out. Wow, hasn't the Lord been good to us? Hasn't the Lord been good to Israel? The Lord will cause your enemies who rise against you to be defeated before your face. They shall come out against you one way and face and flee before you seven ways. The Lord will command the blessings on you in your storehouses and in all which you set your hand and he will bless you in the land which the Lord your God has given you. The land will establish you as a holy people to himself. The Lord will establish himself as a holy people to himself, just as he has shown to you. If you keep the commandments of the Lord your God and walk in his ways, then all the people of the earth shall see that you are to be called by his name of the Lord, and they shall be afraid of you. And the Lord will grant you plenty of goods in the fruit of your body, in the increase of your livestock, and in the produce of your grounds, in the land by which the Lord swore to your fathers to give you. The Lord will open to you his good treasure in heaven to give you rain in your land in its season and to and to bless all the work of your hands you you shall lend to many nations but you shall not borrow and the lord will make you the head and not the tail you shall be above only and not beneath if you heed the commandments of the lord your god which i command you today and be careful to observe them so you shall not turn aside from any of the words which I have commanded you this day to the right or to the left to go after other gods to serve them. So a couple times, pretty straightforward instructions he lays out for what we're to do. And he saved the, in that, in, back in, uh, back in um, uh, Leviticus, he saved the best to the last of that thing that we read. He says in verse 12, I will walk among you and be your God and you shall be my people I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Verse 11, he says, And I will set my tabernacle among you. And that tabernacle was the tent, the tent of fellowship. We were so blessed to be able to have that. But then in verse 14, he takes a whole different direction with him. And it's it's kind of interesting to see how he does this. In verse 14, it starts off with, But if you do not obey me and do not observe all these commandments. But I want to show you the progression that's going to happen in the next half of the chapter. Two-thirds as long as the first. This chapter could be broken down into one-third and two-thirds. One-third, good stuff. Two-thirds, not so good stuff. But look at the progression. Verse 14. If you do not obey me and do not observe all these commandments and you despise my statutes, or if your soul abhors my judgments, so that you do not perform my commandments and break them, my commandments. Then jump to verse 18. And after all this, if you do not obey me, verse 21, then if you walk contrary to me and are not willing to obey me, verse 23, and if by these things you are not reformed by me, but walk contrary to me, and then verse 27, and after all this, if you do not obey me, but walk contrary to me, and the the um, chastisement of the Lord, the judgment of the Lord continues to grow because the people weren't done. Those chastisements were to bring them back but they didn't come back, and so they kept adding more to it. So we'll be looking at that. So let's look at verses 14 to 17. But if you do not obey me and do not observe all that I command, all the commandments, and if you despise my statutes, and if your soul abhors my judgment, so that you do not perform all my commandments, but break my covenant, I will also do this to you. I will even appoint terror over you, Wasting disease and fever, which shall consume the eyes and cause sorrow of heart. And you shall sow your seed in vain, for your enemies will eat it. I will set my face against you, and you shall be defeated by your enemies. Those who hate you 
shall reign over you, and you shall flee when no one pursues you. Again, back to the book of Judges. When we get to that book, we're going to see a cycle. When the people obeyed God, they had a good judge, and the people were blessed immensely. When the people disobeyed the laws of God, they seemed to get an evil judge. And they had a horrible time and consequences. He removed their blessing. But the Lord has given these commandments with more detail of what those look like. The law of worship, the law of the offerings, the law of the tabernacle, and the now the law pertaining to the people. You remember back in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 2, Pretty important verse. He says, he says, Moses, I want you to speak to all the congregation and the children of Israel and say to them, you shall be holy for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Chapter 19, verse 2. That was one of the premises of this uh, new relationship that they were having. In Proverbs 14, Solomon says, righteousness exalts a nation but sin is a reproach to any people. We hear that one being batted around a lot today. When Israel walked after the Lord, the blessings were real. When we look at their story, we see great things. Fellowship, material blessings. One good example of that is the Queen of Sheba. The story is in um, 1 Kings. She came up to Solomon because she had heard rumors of how rich he was and how powerful he was and how much he had going for him. And so she came from Sheba, and which down in Africa, and she came up and she saw the nation was so blessed. And in uh, the, one of the chapters we read about it, let me just read you a couple verses that she, that she said. So when she had gotten there, she says, However, I did not believe the words until I came and saw with my own eyes. And indeed... The half which was told me, your wisdom and your prosperity exceeds the fame of which I heard. Happy are your men and happy are your servants who stand continually before you and hear your wisdom. Blessed be the Lord your God who delighted in you, setting you on the throne of Israel. Because the Lord has loved Israel forever, therefore he made you king to do justice and righteousness. Then she gave him a big present. He gave her back some big presents, okay? That's the the epitome of when Israel was at its best, when Solomon was the king. And then he takes off and goes after idols, and things start to fall apart. So as we go through the history of Israel, we see that these words that we're reading here in Leviticus chapter 26 come true. When Israel obeyed, they were blessed. When they disobeyed, they weren't so blessed. Isaiah says it like this. Isaiah is writing his prophecy to a nation that has fallen into sin and idolatry. Their position was horrible. And he explains it in the first chapter. And after he calls out their sin to them, he says these words, these challenging words, which we've all heard before. But listen to what he says. He says, come now and let us reason together. The Lord is saying this. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. If you are willing and obedient, you will eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured by the sore, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. The last section of these woes, as we will call them, is in verses 27. Well, let's look at, let's look at a couple of them real quickly. Um, Leviticus 26, let's look at verse 18. Things are getting worse. They're compounding on top of each other. And after all this, if you do not obey me, the verses we just read, then I will punish you seven times more for your sins. I will break the pride of your power. I will make your heavens like iron and your earth like bronze, no rain, and your strength shall be spent in vain, for the land shall not yield its produce. 
After this, if you walk contrary to me, in verse 21, and are not willing to obey me, I will bring on you seven times more plagues according to your sins. I will also send wild beasts among you, which shall rob you of your children, destroy your livestock, and make you a few in number, and your highways shall be desolate. Verse 23, And if by these things you are not reformed to me or repented to me, but walk contrary to me, then I also will walk contrary to you, and I will punish you yet seven times for your sins. And I will bring a sword against you, and will execute vengeance um, of the covenant. When you are gathered together within your cities, I will send pestilence among you, and you shall be delivered into the hand of the enemy. When I have cut off your supply of bread, ten women shall bake your bread in one oven, and they shall bring back your bread by weight, and you shall eat and not be satisfied. And verse 27, this is where it really kind of gets gets a, a little bit tougher, if you can believe it. And after this, if you do not obey me and you walk contrary to me, then I will also walk contrary to you, and I, even I, will chasten you seven times for your sins. You shall eat the flesh of your sons, and you shall eat the flesh of your daughters. I will destroy your high places, cut down your incense altars, and cast your carcasses on the lifeless forms of your idols, and my soul shall abhor you. I will lay your cities waste and bring your sanctuaries to desolation, and I will not smell the fragrance of your sweet aromas. I will bring the land to desolation, and your enemies who dwell in it shall be astonished at it. I will scatter you among the nations and draw out a sword after you. Your land shall be destroyed and your cities wasted. Then the land shall enjoy its, its desolate, and you are in your enemy when you are in your enemy's land, which happened when they were carried away to Babylon. Then the land shall rest and, re, and enjoy its Sabbath, as we studied about last week. As long as it lies desolate, it shall rest. For the time it did not rest on your Sabbath when you dwelt in it, because you didn't follow my commandments. And as for the, verse 36, and as for those of you who are left, I will send faintless into their hearts and the land of their enemies. The sound of a shaken leaf shall, shall cause them to flee. They shall flee as though fleeing from a sword, and they shall fall when no one pursues them. They shall stumble over one another, and if, and as were before a sword, when no one pursues, and you shall have no power to stand before your enemies. You shall perish among the enemies and eat, that eat you up. And those of you who are left shall waste away in their iniquities in the enemy's land. Also in their father's iniquities, which are with them, they shall waste away. Wow. That's a tough, that's a tough proclamation that the Lord has given them. You know, in all of that, all that we read, all the chastening, all the judgments, he never said he would forsake them. He never said that he would leave them. He just said that he would bring these woes upon them. Only that they would be cursed or chastened. And sadly, these curses, as we read the story of Israel, we see that they became true. They were defeated by many armies. Deprivation set in. They were in exile. Desolation, diseases often marked their history. Even the horrific cannibalization described in Leviticus verse 29 there, it was fulfilled in 2 Kings chapter 6. That's horrible, but God told them ahead of time, if you walk contrary to me, these are the things that are going to be happening to you. Josephus, a Christian historian, also describes cannibalism by the Jews in Jerusalem under the siege of the Romans, when the Romans had surrounded them and cut off all their food supply. He also mentioned that cannibalism took place. In verse 32, it talks about the resting of the land. For 490 years, they didn't give the land its Sabbath. So they spent 70 years in captivity in um, Babylon for that. But even in their sinful condition, and even in all of this chastening, God says in verses 40 to 41, I'm not rejecting you. If you will return, things will be better. So in verse 40 it says, But if they confess their iniquities and the iniquity of their fathers, 
with their unfaithfulness in which they were unfaithful to me and that they also have walked contrary to me and that I also have walked contrary to them and brought them into the land of their enemies. If their uncircumcised hearts are humbled and they accept their guilt, then I will remember my covenant with Jacob and my covenant with Isaac and my covenant with Abraham. I will remember. I will remember the land. The land also shall be left empty by them and will enjoy its Sabbath while it lies desolate without them. They will accept their guilt because they despised my judgments, because they, their soul abhorred my statutes. Yet for all that, when, there are, when they are in the land of their enemies, I will not cast away, nor shall I abhor them to utterly destroy them and break my covenant with them. For I am the Lord their God. For, but for your, their sake, I will remember the covenant of their ancestors whom I brought out of the land of Egypt in the sight of the nations that I might be their God I am the Lord so he's not going to reject them completely he's always going to be there for them and he brings them out in the same way that he is going to be seen by the nations as the Lord who takes care of them we see in Daniel chapter 9 that Daniel is praying for the return of his people. He understands this and he's praying for it as a nation. Something that we probably need to do more of is to pray as a nation for the things. So in Daniel chapter 9 in his prayer, I'm just going to read you a little bit of it. He says this, Then I set my face towards the Lord God to make requests by prayer and supplications with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. And I prayed to the Lord my God, and I made confessions and said, O Lord, great and awesome God who keeps His covenant and mercy with those who love Him and with those who keep His commandments. So Daniel is reminding God of who He is, and he's restating it. We have sinned and we have committed iniquity. We have done wickedness and rebelled even by departing from your precepts and your judgments. Neither have we heeded your servants and the prophets who spoke to to us in your name, to our kings and our princes, to our fathers and all the people of the land. O Lord, righteousness belongs to you and to the shame of our faith to this day, the men of Judah and the the inhabitants of Jerusalem and all Israel, those who hear uh, those far off in the country, in the countries to which you have driven them because of the unfaithfulness with which you have. O Lord, to us belongs shame and face to your king, our princes and our fathers, because we have sinned against you. So Daniel is crying out and he is praying, Lord, forgive us of our sins. That's what God is promising here. If they would confess their sins, if they would stop walking contrary to his ways, if they would be faithful, if they would have humble hearts, if they would accept their guilt, then he would restore them. So this chapter can't really be read and considered. It's a lot of heavy stuff there. And you say, well, Pastor Mike, that all pertained to the nation of Israel. Well, does it? We're supposed to be obedient, aren't we? We're supposed to be willing and obedient. We want to eat the good of the land. So this chapter cannot be read and considered without the conviction being created that the love of God will prove finally victorious over all failures. No matter how much the nation of Israel failed to keep the covenants and the, and the, and the statutes, God stayed with them. He brought them back in 1948 and he gave them their land back. G. Campbell Morgan had this to say about this chapter. God is faithful and unchangeable. If we walk with Him, He walks with us. And all His infinite resources of wisdom, power, and love are at our disposal. If we change our course and walk contrary to Him, He still pursues His way of wisdom, power, and love. But his going, but but his go, his going are against us, and we experience the contradiction of his opposition. He remains faithful; he cannot deny himself. Therefore, we know his government 
wisdom, power, and love, as strength helping us or opposing us according to whether we walk with him or contrary to him. Conditional blessing. Be willing and obedient. Eat the good of the land. Refuse and rebel. And you're going to have those things, those problems. Chapter 27 talks more about uh, lots of types of different uh, redeeming people back and the ways to redeem things. And we're not going to go into that chapter. I want to try to figure out how we can apply this to our lives today. How can we get some sense out of this that we can make this work? How can we make this happening? How can we keep it within the New Testament? Again, your homework. Leviticus 26, Deuteronomy 28 in one sitting. Two great chapters of the Bible. They're two of the greatest chapters and they have this message. So how do we live with this today? If we're willing and obedient, we're going to eat the good of the land. But if we refuse and rebel, you will be devoured by the sword, Isaiah told them. For the mouth of the Lord is spoken. Remember the chorus that we, we mentioned in the beginning? Hasn't the Lord been good to us? Hasn't the Lord been good? He's done all the things that he said he would. Hasn't the Lord been good? Hasn't the Lord been good to us as individuals? Can't we all put some claim to something of God's goodness in our lives? For heaven's sakes, he saved us. We're on our way to heaven. We're not on our way to hell. God has been good to us as individuals. God's been good to us as a church. Haven't we seen some wonderful things take place amongst our church, the school, the things that we, the, the lives where we interact around here? We've seen some wonderful things happen and some great things have happened. And you know, God has even been good to us as a nation. When we've been willing and obedient, we've walked with Him. We have been a blessed nation. Over and over, we've been blessed. That little chorus goes on. Hasn't the Lord been good to us? It says, Love God, hate sin. We all hate sin. If we hated sin so much, we wouldn't be doing so much of it. Okay? When we love God, hate sin. Reckon the old man dead. Take account of that old man. Put him down. We're going to be new creatures in Christ. Love God, hate sin, and by the Spirit be led. In Matthew 22, Jesus made it real clear about loving God. That's the greatest commandment. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and the great commandment. So Jesus agrees with our little chorus. Love God. That's the first part. Love God. The second is like this. Love your neighbor as yourself. And I think we all agree that that's probably the greatest expression of our Christian faith is when we really learn to love others. Remember the study we did to seek to save the lost, you know, the last, to go after them. That was good. So turn with me to Romans chapter 6. We'll end in Romans because we want to make this applicable to us. Reckoning the old man dead, hating sin. How do we tackle it? How do we keep it from overcoming us? Some of you have heard this before. I like it. It means a lot to me. So I'll say it again. There was a promise given that they're going to get the land. There was a principle given. Be willing and obedient and you'll eat the good of the land. There was a problem. The wilderness and the nations around the wilderness that came after them. And then there was the provision. They actually got there with Joshua and they actually went in and they took the land promise, a principle, a problem, and provision. That was for the nation of Israel and their land. You can see how those things worked out. I think right here in these few chapters of Romans, you can find the same thing for us as spiritual beings and as Christians today, and how we can get to our spiritual promised land. You all know where it is, right? Christian spiritual promised land, I believe, is Romans chapter 8. It's where all of you should be living. You should be living there. You should be in that chapter. That chapter should be your Magna Carta. It should be your 
Declaration of Independence. So let's look at it. Chapter 6 of Romans, verse 1. We're going to look at the principle. The principle. What shall we say then? If we, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Paul's arguing in the book of Romans his defense. He's preparing for that trial before Caesar in Rome. Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of you who are baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism and death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. If we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we will also be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, and that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once, for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies that you should obey it and its lust. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not, for you are not under the law, but you are under grace. Pretty simple. Pretty simple. You will not have sin over you. Now I know... I just look at your smiling faces and can tell. None of you are struggling with sin in your life at all. You have mastered them all. No anger, no bitterness, no frustration, no desire to give up, no anger. You know, when things don't go well at the well, you know. That's our... That's our uh, facilities manager from our youth camp over there. We had to put in a new well. We had to condemn the old well. And we had to build some power thing. And then we had to do this. And we had to do some special stuff over there, right? It just kind of kept coming at you, didn't it? Just It just does that sometimes. Um, we can have victory over sin. That's the principle. That's the principle. Reckon the old man did. Love God, hate sin, and by the Spirit be led. Well, what's the promise in the book of Romans for you? I believe you can find it in chapter 5, verse 17. You probably just don't even have to turn your pages. Maybe one page. Chapter 5, 17 says this. If by one man's offense, Adam, death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through Christ Jesus. Now again, looking at your smiling faces, I know you're all reigning in life. There's been no turmoil in the homes this week. Everything's been wonderful. All the bills have been paid. We're not worried and fretful about anything. We don't have any crazy clients that just drive us nuts. We don't have any children that are moving back in. <laughs> Everything's just wonderful. The promise is you can reign in life. The principle is you reckon the old man dead. The problem is chapter 7. The things I do, I don't want to do. The things I want to do, I don't do. That whole chapter deals with one subject. The flesh and the spirit and the battle that takes place there. And that's the problem. But you can Reckon the old man dead. You can have victory over there. You can hate sin. And that brings us to chapter 8. 
the spiritual promised land of the believer. This is where we should be living. Verse 8, verse 8, chapter 1. There is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. I talk to people all the time, some of you I've talked to, where Satan whispers in your ears, how can you even call yourself a Christian after what you just did? How can you even go to church? How can you go back there and take communion after the week that you've just had? There is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. That's part of the promise that we have as believers in Christ. Verse 2, For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of man. So you can go through here. I've actually got these listed out somewhere. I forgot to bring them. I found 21. But let's go, uh, let's jump ahead to verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weakness, for we do not know what, how we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. He uses this word spirit there about three or four times. One of the greatest comparisons between chapter 7 and chapter 8 is go home tonight and count the eyes, eyes or we, or me, first, first person pronouns in both chapters. List them out. In, in number 7, I have this many. Chapter 8, I have this many. And then do the same thing in 7 and 8 with the word spirit. And you will be amazed at the change at 8 chapter 1. I, me, my. List those out. See if you can find all 47 of them in chapter 7. And in the Spirit, the same thing in chapter 8. You'll be, it's, it's an amazing thing that, that, Paul, that the Holy Spirit did there through Paul. So, um, continuing on, verse um, 27 of, of uh, Romans 8. Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. He will know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. That's one of our famous verses. We check it once or twice a week to make sure it's still there. But we all love it. But we know. We know all things. All things. Work together for good. All things do. For whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to his image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn of many. Moreover, whom he predestined, those he also called. Whom he called, he also justified. So you're justified. That's one of the parts, pieces of this promised land. And we will be glorified with him. Then these great verses, and starting with 31. What then shall we say to those things? To these things. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Hasn't the Lord been good to us? Hasn't the Lord been good? Who shall bring charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died. And furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercessions for us. That is just a great picture. That is just such an awesome picture to know that Jesus is standing up there in the throne room with his dad saying, Hey, that Calvary Chapel Twin Peaks Sunday night Bible study, those are my people. They're they're on their way to be be to be with me here. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? And with the nation of Israel, all the stuff that they went through, their nation being devoured, other nations coming and running them over, them being taken out of their nation to Babylon, the ten tribes being split up, the nations having a civil war. Through all of that, through all of that, who can separate them from the love of God? Nothing could ever separate them from the love of God. Uh, verse 36, as it is written, for your sake we are all killing all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. 
Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor heights, nor depths, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Hasn't the Lord been good to us? Hasn't the Lord been good? He's done so much. So you got two homeworks. Count the eyes in the first person, especially in chapter 7. You won't find any in chapter 8. And then the word spirit, count it in both, cha- in both chapters. I'd be interested to see if any of you come back with anything astonishing next, last week. So how many of you remember that song? So you and I are going to do a duet, huh, honey? Yeah. <laughs> Hasn't the Lord been good to us? Hasn't the Lord been good? You'll get it real fast, okay? He's done all the things that he said he would. Hasn't the Lord been good? Love God. Girls, that's your part. Love God. Guys, hate sin, okay? It's got to be it's got to be hate sin, okay? And then reckon the old man dead and girls love God and guys hate sin, okay? So we're going to let them we're going to do a little duet thing there. And then by the spirit be led. Hasn't the Lord been good to us? Hasn't the Lord been good? He's done all the things that He said He would. Hasn't the Lord been good? Girls? Love God. Hate sin. Reckon the old man dead. Girls? Hate sin, and by the Spirit be led. Hasn't the Lord been good to us? Hasn't the Lord been good? He's done all the things that He said He would. Hasn't the Lord been good? Girls? Hate sin, reckon the old man dead. Hate sin, and by the Spirit be led. Now, in reality, some of us are having troubles with different things in our life, and that's what church is all about. That's why we're here. That's why we have a fellowship dinner. We get to know each other. We care for one another. We bear each other's burdens. We pray for one another. We reach out to one another. Don't let sin keep you from that. If you're struggling with something, go to a friend, go to a pastor, go to the men's group, the ladies group, go somewhere and get help. That's what it's all about. We can live a victorious life. We can reign in life because he's done so much for us.